are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Our focus this month and this year has been on personal evangelism and our sense of calling to be salt and to share light. And we've been working through this series, Contagious Christianity, and um, the resource we're using is Becoming a Contagious Christian by Bill Hybels and Mark Middleberg. And our kind of thesis statement is that because people matter to God, people should matter to us. Because people matter to God, people should matter to us. And so what does God want us to do? How does he want us to be involved in in his desire to see people trust in him and, and put their confidence in him? We talked about a formula, and we introduced a formula that finds its roots in Scripture, and it's a formula that is HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. All right, this is the second week that we presented it. Does anybody remember what the HP stands for? High potency. The CP stands for? Close proximity plus clear communication equals beautiful. All right, so repetition does work. And this formula we've kind of outlined, we can find its roots in Scripture, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we realize God's goal with our lives is not only to save us, but after he saves us, his hope is that we would have a spiritual impact in people's lives, and we're called to have maximum spiritual impact. So this formula, the HP plus um, uh, CP plus CC, kind of comes out of this passage where Jesus talks about salt and light. And in particular, he talks about salt, and salt has to be potent, and salt has to be in proximity or close to things in order to have impact. And so that's where the Uh, high-potency element comes into play. We're called to be salt. And then the clear communication, the CC, that is born out of what Jesus said for us to be light in the world, to make things visible. And so communication is what makes things visible in people's worlds. And so that's why we put together the formula of HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. High potency plus close proximity plus clear communication equals maximum impact. Last couple weeks, we've considered the first element of the equation, and that is HP, high potency. And what we discovered is there's some things that are necessary in order for us to have high potency. The first is authenticity. Substance is more important than image. And so there's an authenticity that we should display in our Christian life. And it's authenticity that really makes Christianity attractive. And last week, we talked about this second element of potency, and that is compassion. We talked about, in particular, a 
passage in Luke chapter 10, and I want to just walk through it very quickly, but Luke chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus answered the lawyer and said, a certain man went down from Jericho to, or Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. It says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, by chance, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, very specifically decided to be on this road. It wasn't by chance. It was as he journeyed, came where the man who had been beaten was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And so this Samaritan man, what we call the good Samaritan, what that great hospital in Cincinnati is named after, good Samaritan, is this man shows us the reality of compassion. The reality of compassion we talked about was three things. It was that I can't give you compassion. I can't give it to you. You have to come to it on your own. Number two, that re the compassion is born out of perspective. That because I can't give it to you, you have to come to it. You have to come to a perspective of yourself that realizes that you're not better than anybody else, that you could have easily been in that predicament or that circumstance as well. So it's born out of perspective. And thirdly, true compassion produces mercy. When you have real compassion, you can't help yourself but do something about it to show, Jesus said, mercy. And so we realized in this story of the Good Samaritan that the religious ones, the priest and the Levite, they didn't have compassion. They had curiosity. The, Levi, the Levite had, he was kind of curious of the man laying in the road. He looked at him, but he didn't have the capacity to show mercy because he lacked compassion. But that Samaritan had compassion because of what he knew of himself and what he understood of his own condition and probably his own circumstance and perspective and experience. And so compassion is born out of that. And ultimately, what did the Samaritan do? It says that he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day when he departed, he took out money, gave it to the innkeeper so that he could care for this man. And so being authentic in our life allows us to have compassion that produces mercy. And that's where we have kind of got to in the last few weeks. But I want to dive into the element of CP, and that's close proximity. We understand that compassion is powerful, but compassion is impossible without proximity. Compassion is powerful, but compassion is impossible without proximity. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, 
he had compassion. Then he went to him and bandaged his wounds and gave him oil and wine and took him to the innkeeper. And Jesus asked that question, who was neighbor among these? And they answered him who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Go and show mercy likewise. But compassion would have been impossible. Mercy would have been impossible without proximity. Jesus got in trouble for proximity. In Matthew chapter 9, said, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, to, came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he in proximity to these people who are considered sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus understood that his impact in people's lives was going to be because of his proximity to them. Let me skip ahead for just a minute. That's why I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit is so important, that it's Christ in you. It's the proximity of God to you. Christ did not want to stay distant from us, although his plan required him to ascend into heaven. But he said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. And he comes to us through the power right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what is the hope that we have? A better proximity, isn't it? With him in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like preaching. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit is so that Christ can come to you where you are. That's what Christ is doing, and that's what Christ ultimately calls us to do, is to not be distant from the sinner, not to be at arm's length to people who don't know God, but to actually let the power of God get in proximity to people who need the Lord. Amen. I got to hurry. Jesus asked this question, or he, he asked the question, or he told the those disciples and those who asked the question about the thieves, he said, "You show he who showed mercy is the one who is neighbor. What is the idea of neighbor? It's proximity. It's all about how close you are to people. And Jesus got in trouble for being in close proximity. The early church, when you look at Christ. Uh, working in the early church, you see the disciples in their uh, power to influence people spiritually had everything to do with their proximity to them. I, just as a, a quick illustration, uh, it was referenced Sunday, but the eunuch 
who uh, was alone in the desert. He was reading out of the book of Isaiah. And what did God do? Philip was at uh, preaching a, a revival in Samaria, but what did God do? God sent him to have proximity to the eunuch because he understood the eunuch was hungry. And so he sent him to him. And so the scripture says to, uh, in 829, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And then the man said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Peter to come up and sit with him. Proximity. Paul, the great apostle, he would say this, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without the law as without law. Not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might be all me by, that I might by all means save some. I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. That interesting that Paul was looking for a way to connect to people, to be in proximity. But what keeps us from proximity with people in the world, people who are lost? I want to consider four barriers to building relationships with people, specifically those who we may consider to be in the world or lost. The first barrier can be a biblical issue. Isn't that interesting? The first barrier to connecting to people who are lost can be a biblical issue. James chapter 4 tells us adulterers and adulteresses, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Romans 12, 2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 17, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. These verses have been used to guard us from friendship with the irreligious. And when you look at these passages, though, you'll see that these passages are really dealing not with how you interact with people in the world, but a paradigm of worldliness. Paul affirms this when he tells the church in Corinth. This church in Corinth who lived the city of Corinth was a, a hedonistic society, a sexually uh, promiscuous society, and Paul tells them this. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. But then he says, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. That's not, my point is not for you to disconnect yourself from people who are sinners. 
He's saying you've got to be careful about the influences in your life. And in particular, he challenged those who call themselves brothers and sisters who influence you away from Christ. And so I say that we have a, sometimes a biblical issue that keeps us from connecting to people because if we take these verses out of context, we will live in a, in a mindset that says I can have no relationship with anybody in the world. And that is not what Scripture teaches, and it's certainly not what Jesus practiced. And so, what should we consider? The next barrier we come up against is there is a spiritual danger of certain relationships. There are certainly spiritual risks being in relationship to those in the world or those who are lost. In the same chapter that Paul tells us that we will need to have relationships with people in the world, he also warns about the influence that came from people. He says, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. And so the principle, I believe, that is trying to be measured out here is that we should live uh, in a way where if somebody is influencing you away from Christ... You know it. Either you're tempted every time you're with them or they keep causing you to be in situations where you find yourself in sin or dishonoring God or dishonoring your convictions. Then you do need to pull away from people like that who are influencing you away from Christ. And that's the real balance. It really takes a a heart of humility to understand why you're in relationships and your motivation for them. And so, the goal of the new birth, the goal of discipleship, the the goal of the Spirit of God in us, though, is for us to have maximum spiritual impact in the world. And that requires proximity. And so, we should see our lives as not on the defensive, that I'm trying to keep everything out. That's a good mental Uh, uh, perspective at times to keep things out but the bible calls the christian life to be on the offensive not just the defensive when paul wrote about it he said for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty to god for the pulling down of strongholds casting down of arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of god bringing every thought into the captivity every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience. How? When obedience is fulfilled. Yes, there is a defensive element to living for God, but obedience is really an offensive posture. When you obey the word of God, you're moving into spiritual realms. And so we're called, we, we are called to be in proximity to the world, to be connected to lost people, to be in relationship to them. That is, unless there are people that are moving us or pulling us away from God. The next barrier, the third obstacle we have is the risk to our own reputation. What are people going to say? This is a good consideration. It's something that I think all of us should consider. The Bible talks about the reality that your reputation does matter. 
So I think you have to evaluate the motivation for your association. Jesus' motivation was not to partake in sin, right? When Jesus was in hanging out with the sinners, it wasn't so he could partake in their sin. That wasn't his motivation. His motivation wasn't to empower his flesh. Take note of that. Because you really do need to evaluate your motivation. And so there are some scenarios that you, I believe, you can do harm to the gospel. You can do harm to your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can do harm to people's perspective of what Christ is all about when you move into places, go places, and do things to just hang out with sinners. But I think you have to evaluate your motive and realize that sometimes there are scenarios where people are just not going to understand my perspective. They're not going to understand why I'm hanging out with this person or doing this with somebody. And again, I, I know we get into a little bit of muddy territory, and it's not the cleanest thing to try to articulate. It's not as clear, but I'm telling you that God wants us to be in proximity to the lost. And so your reputation matters, but Jesus was very emphatic that his motivation was not to sin. His motivation was not to empower his flesh. His motivation was to simply be able to present the Savior of the world to them. And finally, sometimes we don't connect because of the price and personal discomfort that relationships bring. Relationships can be draining. I wish somebody would say amen. Depending on your personality, it may determine the time frame of your discomfort. Extroverts tend to love that initial contact with people, but are sometimes drained by the ongoing nature of deeper aspects of relationships. Introverts hate the initial contact with people and often thrive on the deeper elements of conversation in relationships. Relationships create discomfort. And so that's sometimes why we don't connect with people, because it takes time, takes energy, and it takes resources. So how can we better connect with people relationally in the world? I would submit we come back to this word, authenticity. You got to be you. You got to be you. If you want to connect with people, authentically connect with people that has the opportunity to really make a difference in their life, be you. How many introverts are in the room? Raise your hand slowly. All right. We know who the extroverts are. You don't, we know who you are. <laughs> and you scare us. 
But understand who you are in Christ. Understand who you are in Christ. How has God shaped you? The spiritual gifts, the passions, the heart, the abilities, the personality, the experiences. All those things can really help you be more authentic with people. And so, once you're comfortable with who God's called you to be, cast your net. Cast your net. What I like about Jesus' comment to the disciples is that, number one, he was in charge. That whole scenario where he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. First, he said to them, cast your net on the other side. In other words, do what I say. Let me be in charge of this moment. So you got to really surrender your life to Jesus Christ. you got to surrender your personality. But he used what was in their hand and what they were experienced at. And he said, cast your net on the other side. He didn't tell them while they're sitting in the boat with the net, hey, I want you to build a house. He said, cast your net on the other side. Why? Because that's what they knew to do. That's what they had experience doing. And so how can you and I share light in a dark world? How can God use us to help people find him? There's six approaches I'm going to move through quickly to help us share light. And they allow us to be in proximity to people. They allow us to be authentic and compassionate, which I believe is attractive. So we look at that Samaritan. As he journeyed, he came to where they were. He went, and he was close to the man laying in the road. So what approaches could we use? The first approach we will look at or consider is the confrontational approach. Siri, your thoughts. Peter's personality seemed to lend itself to a more confrontational approach. He confronted everyone. He confronted everyone. Jesus, he like told Jesus what to do. And I always love it that Jesus just said, called him Satan. I mean, that's, that's what he said. That is in the Bible. You can read it for yourself. Peter was called Satan. Sometimes I call my children that. In Acts chapter 2, though, he was chosen to proclaim the first message after the outpouring. When you look at that sermon, it was confrontational. He was confronting some people about who Jesus was. So much so that when they heard the sermon, they asked men and brethren, what should we do? The Bible says they were cut to the heart. They were convicted by what he said. That confrontational message, though, was necessary for them to respond that way, and he preaches that message, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now, some of you would like to think that that sermon was was short. You read that and you're like, why can't our preachers these days preach sermons like that? That's, that's short and sweet. But there's a verse 40 that you really have to take into consideration. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. 
Luke got tired of writing everything that Peter was saying and just said, and with many other words. And so that's what our Twitter feed does, Alyssa. It's like, yeah, a lot was said, but here's what you might want to consider was said. It's, and then there's with many other words. You should tweet that. And with many other words. All right. The next, the next approach is the intellectual approach. We consider the Apostle Paul. He was bold. He was confrontational. But his really the, the most effective method that he used was an intellectual approach. He, he wasn't just intellectual after his conversion. But when you read before he was converted, he, he was well studied. He was very educated. And uh, when he became a Christian, God used that intellect for his glory. And in Acts chapter 17, I'm not going to read it all, but uh, in Acts chap- chapter 17, uh, it highlights these aspects of, of Paul's life where he's on the, the Mars Hill. He's up there with the philosophers and he's speaking intellectually to them. God used that aspect. I, I find it slightly humorous, though, and reassuring that Peter would tell the early church. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blemish or blameless and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture." But Peter was like, listen, if you don't understand it, it's okay. So I always feel good when I'm reading Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Ephesians and Philippians. I'm like, Paul, you're killing me, Smalls. Slow down. But Peter, Peter had to help the church like, it's okay. But that was his approach. It was a very intellectual approach. And then the, the third approach that can be used is a testimonial type approach. And we know that uh, we don't. We, we know that the blind man who was healed by Jesus Christ, he used his testimony. He used the fact that he was healed as a way to share light with the people around him. Now, again, it's it's interesting how he approaches this. He's he's questioned. He's healed, and immediately after he's healed, he's confronted by the religious. And instead of confronting them per se, uh, instead of uh, trying to be theological and describe uh, the, the workings of this in some theological measure, he just simply says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. I, I can't describe all the theological angles for you. But here's what I know. This is how I was. This is how I am now. Something made the difference. And so that testimonial approach is powerful. Matthew used a more interpersonal approach. And this is another method that can be used. He, he was about relationships. He looked to connect people. I think Matthew was probably an extrovert to some degree, but he, he was willing to gather people together. So when he came to Christ and chose to follow Jesus Christ, he gathered a group of people together for a party. 
And he wanted to introduce them. It was more of a personal, relational kind of connection. And so the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, when Levi or Matthew gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. It was one of friendship. There's another way, which is the invitational approach. There's a woman in Scripture who had an encounter with Christ, and it was really an unfriendly encounter, a little condescending. But the woman stayed with it. She continued the dialogue with Christ. She had a few disadvantages. She was a woman. She was a Samaritan, and she was living an immoral lifestyle. But her encounter with Jesus Christ causes her to have a revelation. The revelation was that this is the Savior of the world. And so out of that experience, she invites, it's a simple invitation to her friends to come and to hear this rabbi speak. And what's interesting in John chapter 4, it talks about this, and it says that many Samaritans of that city believed in him. But how did they come to believe in him? Because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. But then it says, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. And so it was a simple invitational approach, and sometimes those are very powerful and very meaningful, and sometimes that is easier for some of us to do than others. And then finally, the final consideration for tonight is is really a made-up word. I found it one time in Google. I don't know if they misspelled it, but I did find it. It's called servantational, servantational. Servantational. So invitational, servantational. Go ahead and say it to your neighbor. Talks about a woman in scripture in the early church. Her name was Tabitha, translated Dorcas. That that was translated, unfortunately, into Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Her love for people Her compassion for people caused her to do good things for people. And she ended up getting sick and she passed away. And the disciples heard about it and and people were upset. And the the widows who she had made clothing for came and they were crying. And they, they were showing him what she had done for them. And Peter prayed for her and she came back to life. And the Bible said it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed on the Lord. They believed on the Lord, of course, because she was resurrected from the dead. But really what made her life impacting was her service to people. That's why that was such a meaningful thing to them because of what she did for people. And so service is another way that we can reach out to the people around us. These approaches, these six approaches, allow us to be authentic and go where they are. And that's the point. 
We need to be at liberty tonight. We need to feel the push of the Holy Ghost to not just wait for them to come to where we are, but to go to where they are. I want Keisha Brown to come up here. I know she, she thought she probably got out of it, but she didn't. I love Keisha and Josh Brown. They're awesome, beautiful family, and we're so glad they're at the Calvary Church. She asked if she could say some things tonight, so I obliged. Mickey had told her how wonderful it was to be up here. And... But they've made some very significant and costly decisions in their life to serve the Lord. And I know the Lord's walking with them. Tonight, the aspect of their story that I want to tell you is for their jobs, both of them are servers at a restaurant here in Cincinnati. And just as a, a side note, we were talking about this, and it's sad to say that on Sundays, among the serving community, it's the worst day of the week. I'm, I'm being serious. Because church people don't tip well. And I'm not saying that to indict us. I'm saying to be aware of it the next time you're in a restaurant. But the type of work she does is very stressful, and they do is very stressful. And not only stressful with the interaction with the customer, but you're dealing with a lot of different elements to the restaurant. And this Sunday afternoon, which again, I admire them, this Sunday afternoon, in between our services, they both went to work. And Josh and Keisha went there, worked in between church, and then came back for Sunday night service. And I commend them for their commitment to the house of God. But Keisha was sharing with me a story that happened during that afternoon shift that I thought would maybe be meaningful for us to consider on our topic tonight. I want her to tell about her experience this past Sunday with one of her coworkers. Um, so one of my coworkers had um, been telling everybody that she was going to the doctors and had to get some testing done. And by the way, I got permission from her that I could say her name. So her name is Ashley because she will still need prayers. Um, but um, she was going to the doctors to get tested for either cancer or um, it was two other things that they were going to test her for. Um, and so she had just been really down. And so when we went to work that night, um, well, that day, um, she was talking to one of my managers and like, I just felt like the Holy Spirit just come over me. And I'm not going to lie. Like I usually try to run from that a lot. Cause like, I, cause I just, this is not who I am. I don't like talking in front of people. Um, so, you know, I just sat there for a minute listening to them talk as I was getting this bread and I'm just like, no, like, I don't want to say this to her. Um, and I just looked over and interrupted the conversation. I said, you know what, Ashley, I just want to tell you, um, Today, the pastor led with healing. That's what he led with. And I said, and the spirit just keeps telling me to hug you right now. And I just want to hug you. And so I just grabbed her and I hugged her. And I said no more words to her. I just held on to her. And she just grabbed me so tight. Um, and when she let go, um, my manager that was sitting there, she was like, oh, my God, I'm about to cry. She was like, I just felt chills. And I just looked at her. And I'm just like, that's the Holy Spirit, you know. And um <laughs> 
And I mean, at that moment, all three of us just like shed tears, you know, because in that moment, like I know that the Lord was present and I was just so glad that I listened to what, you know, he was telling me to do. And because in that moment, she needed me. So. Amen. Amen. (laughs) And what's powerful about that story is. Yeah, we're good. Oh, no, we're not good. The update is she still needs prayer, but she does not have cancer. So Amen. that is our But it's that sense of proximity. Because you can be in a room full of people and not be in proximity to them. That story illustrates the power of proximity. The power of going to where they are. Stepping out and putting yourself in a position for them to feel your love, to feel your kindness, to feel hope from you, to feel mercy from you. And tonight I invite you to stand. I don't know when you consider your job, you consider your life, you consider your school, whatever you go to. But I want you to consider tonight the real power of proximity, the real power to have influence in people's lives or impact in people's lives. Sometimes it's a conversation. Sometimes it's a gift given. Sometimes it's just an acknowledgement. But there is power to letting people know that they matter in the world, that they exist in your eyes, isn't it? That's what it is. It's they exist in your eyes. And I want us to be a compassionate church. I want you to be a compassionate person. But I know for some of us, it's a challenge to be in proximity to people. For many, it's because you grew up in church. You don't have a lot of associations outside of church people. For some, it's you're afraid of what people are going to think. But I would encourage you to pray, to ask God to open up opportunities for you. To be in relationships to people who maybe don't think like you, don't talk like you, aren't of the same political party, aren't of the same ethnicity because proximity is really about acknowledging that they're a human and they have value and they matter to God. So I want to pray for us tonight. Again, I had some app questions, but I got long-winded. I apologize about that. But I want to pray that God would really help us capture this moment, capture this opportunity that lays before us every single day. And if you've attended church a long time and you don't have relationships in the world, you don't have relationships with people outside the church, get into something. Do something to get in a place to have relationships with people that are outside of this local church. And that's why serving is such a powerful way, serving organizations and things like that, that you can get involved in to build relationships, to be a a place of hope for people.
I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you, God, for the powerful testimony that we heard here. God, thank you for Keisha, God, and her sensitivity to you and her willingness to not just stand on the sidelines, to not just curiously walk away and ignore it, but, Lord, to be like the Good Samaritan and go to where that lady was, Lord, to go and show up in that co-worker's life, in that conversation, to just demonstrate love, not with a long theological discourse, but just demonstrating the love of God. I pray you would call each of us, Lord. I pray you'd put us in opportunities, God, the rest of this week, where we can connect to people. Maybe for some, it's going to be through a testimony. Some, it's going to be an invitation. For some, it's service, Lord. For some, it might be confrontation, Lord, or it might be an intellectual discussion. I pray whatever opportunity comes up that we would not backpedal from it, we would not excuse ourselves from it, but, Lord, we would walk with boldness. We would walk with confidence for what you're asking of our lives. Lord, you're doing something amazing here at the Calvary Church, and I pray you would raise up contagious Christians in this room, Christians who are not afraid to share light with the world around them, to be salt in whatever scenario they find themselves in. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your calling in our life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, Thanks for listening.